0: Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In today's episode, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer is walking us through the new series on prayer. This series is a part of the 14 characteristics of a healthy church that Heath had preached on in an earlier episodes. Today's episode, we walk into it midstream due to some technical issues. If you're in Ashland or Tri-State area, we would love to see you. Stick around until the end and find out how you can connect with the Baptist Church.
1: Through madness and folly, that's, that's different. It, what it, madness here, it's referring to the fact that Solomon is going to now rely upon cause and effect, okay? He's just going to try things out in life. It's like your teenager sometimes, parents. You know, they're like, Dad, quit lecturing me just let me figure this out on my own let me just experience life let me just learn if you will the hard way (laughs) you know and as parents we want them to learn by by hearing and walking by faith but what Solomon's doing here he's like I'm even going to take the path of a teenager I'm just going to try to learn things experientially if there's something to do I want to experience it went to high school with a guy who who I was stunned when he said it. He says, I want to experience everything life has to offer. I'm like, okay. He says, no, no, really. I even want to go to jail. I've never heard a guy aspire to go into jail before, Uh, but this guy did. He's like, I want to experience everything the world has to offer. Evil, good, sinful, law-abiding, law-breaking. I want to experience the whole spectrum. And essentially, that's what Solomon is saying here by madness and folly. Folly is a unique word here to Ecclesiastes, which means to play the fool, okay? He just wants to be lighthearted. With fools, nothing bothers them. Hey, there's an earthquake. (laughs) It'll be all right, you know? And they're just, they're playing the fool. Nothing, they don't take anything seriously. It's sort of, it's like a hippie, you know? Nothing bothers the hippie. Hey, man. Hey, man, just... Chill, take, you know, drop a little acid, make love not war. Wouldn't you like to ride my beautiful balloon? You know, let's listen to the Beatles. You know, it's just it's just this chill view of life. Hey, you're you're, you're you know, you need to be a little more chill, man. And, and that's that's kind of it is. And so Solomon even tried these kinds of ways of, of experiential learning through madness, through folly. What he's saying here is that Solomon has tried uh, every philosophic idea that's out there. I don't care if it's stoicism, these these harsh rules and duty, or if it's Epicureanism, you know, where you're, you're just trying out pleasure and hedonism. Will that bring me meaning in life? He's tried every intellectual enterprise there is. But what does he say about all this great learning? You know, can my PhD give me a sense of that I've arrived, that I've succeeded? No, it can't. Just great learning, knowing more than the next guy, the guy who pushes up his glasses up his nose and says, well, actually, Bob, you know, the guy who always has answers to things and beats everybody in board games. Is there meaning to just acquiring knowledge on earth, studying psychology and philosophy? And by the way, psychology, it can tell you what man does. It makes observations, but it can't tell you why. That takes God. For that, you have to go to Sunday school. Philosophy, it tries to explain the whys of the universe without God. Can it do it? No, it won't. Because this, philo- this philosopher is gonna disagree with this philosopher and this one hates both of those guys. And this guy over here says, y'all are nuts. You go to psychology, does all psychology agree? This psychological system says, do this and you'll heal people. This one says, you've been destroying people for generations. Then this one over here says, y'all are hurting everybody. And so man, when man is your authority, we can never agree on anything. And so that leads Solomon in verse 17 to say this, the acquisition of knowledge and intelligence and degrees, will that make me feel successful as a man? No, it won't. He said, I perceive that this also is but striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow now don't you let your kid use that as a proof text as to why he shouldn't do homework much knowledge increases sorrow you want me to be happy now what he's talking about here is he's talking about when i'm just going after trying to find meaning in education and learning and growing and wisdom that you can't find true meaning in life from that he says it's a striving after the wind you know, and that's something that you'll see common here. Uh, it's, a, it's a motif in the book of Ecclesiastes, a striving, a chasing after the wind. Can you try to capture wind in a bottle? You can try, can you do it? No, we can't capture the wind and let it out. You know, We can't capture the wind, but you can try. In other words, striving after the wind is something that you chase in life, but you can never arrive at. Solomon is saying you can try to chase significance and meaning through education and building yourself up intellectually and being that smart guy and knowing every latest philosophic and psychological trend out there and you still won't find meaning in life. You're gonna be chasing after wind. You're gonna exhaust yourself doing it but you're not going to arrive. He says it leads to much vexation. It's vexation uh, which is just a word that means it's, it's frustrating, it's angering. I put all this work into it, but uh, I study and I study and I study and I think I know everything, but then I realize nobody can agree. So there's, in man, there is no absolute truth. You just have a whole bunch of people that disagree with each other, and that's frustrating to invest your life into just study, 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 and realize we'll never come to any, anything concrete. There's nothing solid I can build my life on. Well, what about number two? Let's forget that, let's, let's not just focus on education, let's just give up on that, and let's go to hedonism. It's kind of like a, a, a collegian's experience. You go to college seeking higher knowledge, you realize there's not a whole lot of it there, and so you just give up and you go to frat parties, okay? That's kind of where Solomon's at right now. So number two, he's gonna look at the pursuit of the flesh. Let's go to chapter two, verse one, he says, fine, I'll try this then. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. Can is the meaning of life just to find what makes you happy. For a lot of people, they think that's what it is, that's their greatest wish for their child. I just want them to be happy. Do you know that's not God's greatest desire for your children? That's not his greatest desire for you is that you find something that just contents you and makes you happy? So he says here, I will test you with pleasure. Let's see if happiness has weight and meaning to it. Can I build my life on just seeking out pleasure? He uses the word, I will test you. This is the same word that God used of Abraham when God tested Abraham's faith. Let me test your faith. Abraham, you say you trust me. You say you believe in me. Give me your son, your only son sacrifice Isaac and show me that there's a reality to your faith that you trust me that much. And that's the exact same Hebrew term being used here. That I'm gonna test myself. I'm gonna apply scientific knowledge in the scientific process and I'm gonna test out every kind of pleasure known to man and I'll report back and see if that leads to any kind of meaningful existence. By the way, this whole concept of if it feels good, do it, is that true? Obviously not. Are there things that we can do in life that feel good that we shouldn't? I mean, it's why when you bring your dog home from the vet, what do you have to do? You have to put the cone of shame on him, don't you? And you lock that brother in. Because what's he gonna do? He's got a wound and he's gonna lick, 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 lick. He's gonna bite and he's gonna gnaw at it and he's, if, because it makes him feel good. But what does it ultimately do to him? It hurts him. That's really what hedonism is. It's something where we do it, do it, do it, do it, do it because it feels good and it makes us temporarily happy. But in the end, what does it do? It creates a large, raw, gaping, infectious wound on our body and eventually it'll take your life. End of verse one, he says, but behold, all my testing out these theories of will pleasure in just seeking to be happy all the time, will that make me ultimately happy? Well, let's find out, end of verse one. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? Vanity here is, if you will, if you had to sum up Ecclesiastes in one word, the key word of Ecclesiastes is this, it's vanity. It's a word that is used 35 times in just the book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, exactly half of the references to the word vanity in the Bible all come from this book. That Solomon is testing out, trying to find success and meaning in life, and really he finds out it's vanity. Vanity is a word that means empty. uh, The root of it means breath. You don't really even think about it. You have guys been breathing all morning. You haven't thought about it, okay? It, It doesn't mean a whole lot. It's just one little empty thing. It's here, and then it's gone. And so when he says something is vanity, he's like, it's empty. It's something you put your life into and you're resting on it, but it doesn't last. Vanity was also the term that John Bunyan used. Not Paul Bunyan, the the, uh, lumberjack, but John, the one who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And that's the journey of this guy going to the celestial city, this important place, and he's on this mission and this journey, but then he arrives in Vanity Fair, and they're trying to just get him to uh, take his sights off of what's eternal and look at the temporary. Your fashion doesn't match, fellow, you're weird, you're out of place, you should live like us with just trying to invest in your comforts and your pleasures and vain things like what kind of car do you drive? What kind of clothes do you wear? And so Vanity Fair represents all the distractions that we have in life, that God as a believer has called all of us to pursue the celestial city. As Colossians 3 says that we should be seeking those things that are above, not the things that are on earth because your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so we all have to face down vanity. Do we just invest in these temporary empty little things? Will that bring me meaning if I'm always driving the latest car, wearing the latest clothes, and I've watched the latest movies so I can talk at the water cooler at work about the latest things? It will not bring meaning. In fact, in verse 2, he said, I said of laughter... He says, it's mad and of pleasure. What use is it? Laughter is a word that describes the sounds you hear at a party. When you have a really big party, you've got lots of people over that care for each other somewhat, <laughs> you, and they're just they're having fun, and so it's a time that you put your, push your life away, and you just have a good time, and you're laughing, and you're joking. This is that. Solomon says, you know, I love going to parties. I wonder if I can make my life one big party. What would it be like if I just pursued laughter? I tried to make my life such that there's, I cut off anything that makes me feel bad. What if I only have things in my life that make me feel good, things that make me laugh? Will I find meaning there in just trying to avoid pain? No, he says it's mad, it's insane, it's maddening. You'll realize, no, because it's not real. You're an insane man because there's bad and difficult things that happen to us in life. If somebody's like, oh by the way, my wife just got cancer, and then you started going <laughs> and you're laughing all the time, they're like, you're nuts. What's wrong with you? There are certain things in life you need to take seriously. He says trying to pursue a life where you're only always ever happy is ridiculous. There are times God wants us to have sorrow because there's something bad that happened. We lost something. Some of you, this is the first Father's Day like myself where you're, you're celebrating without your father. Do you really think I'm just trying to, to just be lighthearted and happy and laugh all the time? No, there's a time for solemnity and, and gravity to things that happen in life and I've gotta give that thought and pause. We don't just try to surround ourselves with laughter. He says it's mad, you're insane. You're nuts if you think that you can make your life always happy and always just enjoying yourself. You know, what's the broadly accepted definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, right? But Solomon's saying here, people have tried this and it doesn't lead to satisfaction in life. But, if you're gonna, but you think you can. Somehow you're gonna find meaning in life by just surrounding your life with pleasurable things and getting rid of things that don't make you happy. So we try on a new wife, we try on a new job, we move to a new city, we buy a new house, we buy a new car, and our mind is, we're just constantly in the search of some kind of pleasure where I can't even have fun at home anymore. I've gotta find a concert to go to every weekend. I gotta go out to, you know, whatever that place is south of Ashland with all the the, the toys and the games. And uh, you know, I gotta go to a ball game. I've got to go to some activity. There's gotta be something exciting in my life at all times. Will that ultimately make you happy? No, it's why you keep looking for something new to do every weekend. He says it's insane and then later on he says, what use is it? What value do you get from this? If you've lived a life just for empty pleasure, just always trying to live in the moment, I'm gonna to go to Disney, and then I'm gonna to go to this, you know, this, this ball game, and then I'm gonna to go to this party, and then I'm gonna to go to this Broadway musical, and then I'm gonna go on a cruise, and then I'm gonna do this, and we're just trying to find meaning and just keeping ourselves up at this high level of happiness. Do you find contentment there? Solomon says no, he says, what use is it? What do you have to show for yourself for a life that is just lived for pleasure? There's nothing there. It's, it's an empty, it's a vain life. You know, it's often been said that there is no smaller package in the universe than a man all wrapped up in himself. You know, one of, the, one of believe it or not, this is not the saddest funeral that I attended, uh, but one of the saddest funerals I attended was at my second church, and there was a fellow there, and we traveled a ways. His father had passed away. We're going to his funeral, and says, as I often do, I'm asking him, well, how are you doing? How are you coping with this? What do you remember about your dad? And then it got to a place where I asked him, are you gonna be participating in the eulogies? And at that point, he went from just sharing stories dispassionately to all of a sudden, he kinda of got angry. And I, was, <laughs> I touched on something when I talked about a eulogy. He says, no, I'm not gonna do a eulogy. What am I supposed to say about my dad? That he ignored me my whole life and just sat in front of a TV and watched TV all his, his entire life? Now that shook me to my core. And it made me stop and think, what do I invest my life in? What will my kids remember me as? Am I just that dad who is uninvolved in their life and who just lived his life for pleasure, just trying to find something to make me happy every day, just so that I'm always in this high level of contentment at all times, but ultimately I only lived for myself? It was really, it it shook me. Well, in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 3, he says, "'I searched with all my heart "'how to cheer my body with wine.'" My heart still guiding me with wisdom in how to lay a hold on folly till I might see what is good for the children of men to do under heaven, on earth in other words, during the few days of their life. We only got a few days in life. He's saying, how are you gonna spend it? He says, so I searched my heart, how to cheer my body, and this time he's like, well, all of these events and activities weren't enough to distract me from how painful life is, so now I'm just gonna go to wine, okay? And so... Solomon saying, my, my, my mind was still with me. My wisdom was still with me. In other words, I know how to fulfill these things to their ultimate to see if there's meaning there. And so he went and looked for wine. You know, will that, uh, will that bring me meaning? You know, and when wine isn't strong enough, you move up to something stronger. You got a little Jack Daniels. You got a little something else. You got, you know, and we just, tr- and we just keep moving it on up. And w- if we can't drink it, we'll smoke it. If we can't smoke it, we'll vape it. We'll inject it. We'll chew it. We're looking for some substance to satisfy myself, to bring my nerves down so I can tolerate life. Because is your life full of pain? Mine is, mine is full of pain. I hope I'm not the only one experiencing that because I'm doing something wrong then. But our life is full of pain, and if we don't learn how to enjoy life despite the pain, we're gonna turn to things to distract us from that. We'll turn to pleasure, we'll turn to other pursuits, Uh, and worse comes to worse if we can't get that to work. We're gonna try to distract ourselves from the pains that we have by just investing in some substance. As long as I'm drunk, I can't think about this. Does getting drunk, does getting high, does taking these substances, does that ultimately satisfy you and fulfill you? No, it's why we have AA and all these other programs across the universe trying to help people get off it. Because here's what happens. When you invest yourself into wine, you invest yourself into alcohol, you invest yourself into drugs or some substance, They're always inventing some new way to to get a high. Whenever you invest yourself into one of these things, wine and substances, it's peace on loan. You're paying off the You're getting a loan from the mafia, okay? You're, You're temporarily satisfying yourself. Oh, I don't have to think about that anymore. But does that actually cause more problems for you? You wake up with a hangover. You don't even want to go to work. You wake up with bruises and say, how did I get these? You wake up and your wife won't even talk to you. What did I say to her last night? Your kids cower in fear of you. What did I do to them when I was drunk? And then you hear from your doctor, you got cirrhosis. You know, so no, substances are peace on loan. And trust me, every substance has a balloon payment that comes due. And eventually, you will pay that, and it's going to destroy your life. And so Solomon's saying, no, you can't even distract yourself through substances. But he didn't stop here. He says, my heart was still guiding me with wisdom. I knew how to find these things. He says, how to lay hold of folly. Folly is a word word here. He's just talking about frivolous amusements. You know what the word amuse means? To muse means to think about something. A lot of times, artists or musicians, uh, they'll talk about somebody being their muse, you know, somebody that makes them think creatively, right? What, what happens when we put the a prefix, teachers? <laughs> what happens when we put the a prefix before something? It negates it, right? And so to amuse means that we're deliberately engaging in something where I don't have to think anymore. And that's often where we are. We get home from work, we're like, I just don't wanna think about anything. I just wanna veg out, right? Literally, I wanna be a vegetable. Ah, mentally flatlining. I just don't wanna think. And so we'll look for just ah amusements because my life is so difficult and so painful. I no longer wanna come home, you know, and, and work on that chair that's in the garage. I just wanna come and flatline mentally and I'm going to check out and enter a virtual world. I'll play a video game or I'll watch a TV show or I'll read you know, novel after novel after novel after novel. You know, Whatever it is, we have these alternate realities that we enter into to ignore the reality we're in because the reality we're in is really hard. That's why we have amusement parks. You go down to Disney, why do we all wanna go on Disney vacations? Because it's different than the world we're in. I can amuse, I don't have to think anymore. I don't have to think about my difficult life where my wife and I's marriage has been struggling for 10 years in silence, we won't talk about it. I'm struggling with a previous divorce. I'm struggling with stepkids. I'm struggling with my job. I'm struggling with uh, the price of gas. You know, and this world is a hard world. And so sometimes we can let that difficulty get to us and we just want to go to an amusement park where I can ride Space Mountain, I can sit in a teacup, I can buy overpriced ice cream, and I can talk, you know, take pictures with talking mice. It's not reality, friends, is it? We pretend it is when we go there. But that's not real life, but we go there to amuse, to disconnect. Will that disconnection ultimately bring meaning to our life? No. It just distracts you from solving those problems and getting to the bottom of why I'm hurting. Well, number three, he, now he's gonna look at the pursuit of the eyes. Verse four, he says, I made great works. He built lots of stuff. He says, I built houses, I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the rest of the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. By the way, friends, when you're trying to find meaning in this world, we become incurably selfish. Did you know that? Did you see that? When we just read these couple of verses, what do you see? I, myself, I, myself, I, I, my. When we try to find meaning outside of God, my whole life becomes about me. How does this benefit me? How does this improve my life? Am I pleased? Am I in agreement with it? I should be. When our life becomes about finding meaning in God, it completely reverses, doesn't it? It, Your entire life becomes about God, and then loving other people. Now it's not about you. It's Philippians 2.3, let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus, who although he was God, he didn't make much of that. He, 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 he set aside his rights to use that, and he came down and he lived a miserable, difficult life for you and I. Now your life becomes about God and other people. But when we're trying to find meaning in this world, you can tell because you become incurably selfish. I, me, my, myself. And that's what we see Solomon doing. He's trying to find meaning in building all these things. And he didn't even have to do half the building. Who did it for him? The slaves. Now let's pause here. The Bible's not teaching slavery or condoning slavery. Don't think Alex Haley's novel Roots. Don't picture some Confederate plantation owner with a whip in his hand. That's wrong context. A slave in the Bible was a contracted worker. Many of you are slaves, or maybe feel like it in your jobs. It's a contracted worker. You would contract for six years. And on the seventh year, you go free, okay? But you contract for a time, for a certain benefit, a certain amount of income. So he had all of these contracted workers to fulfill. So it wasn't just Solomon trying to fulfill all his dreams. He had a whole army of people trying to help him find significance in just acquiring things. By the way, that's what the lust of the eyes is. Did you know that? When we talk about the lust of the flesh, we all know what the lust of the flesh is. We talk about the pride of life, you know, it's, all, it's, 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 it's this mindset that I'm more important than I really think I am, or, or I'm more important than I really am. And the lust of the eyes though, is the desire to acquire things. I wanna gain things, I wanna collect things, I want stuff. Well, at this point in time, Solomon began collecting things, didn't he? Look at verse seven. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks. By the way, that's how they measured their income for most people. He had a great 401K. He says, more than any who had been with me in Jerusalem and I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Solomon became a collector. In all of us, there's a little bit of a collector instinct within us. We like to collect things. I don't know what you collect, um, but we, we desire to collect. That desire to collect it, it's, it arises from a need from one of two things. One, it gives us a sense of significance a lot of times. That if I have all of these things, I can look at my life and say, look at what you've acquired, I have made it. Or you may want to acquire all these things so you can bring your buddy and open up your garage door, look what I've collected, you know, look, what I, look what I have. You know, and there's a, there's a sense that I have made it, look at how worthy I am because of the things that I own, the things that I have collected and things that I've possessed, okay? And the other reason is security. If I can collect all these things, I don't, I hate to put it this way, if I can collect all these things for myself, I'll never have to get to a place where I have to trust God later, By the way, anybody, don't raise your hand please, especially if they're here. Anybody know a hoarder? You ever met a hoarder before? They're in my family, I won't tell you which one it is, not here on the front row, you know, but like (laughs) way back in like Iowa, okay? But I have hoarding within my family and when I first got married, that was my initial instinct was to hoard because I grew up extremely poor. You wanna hear my poor stories? They're pretty rough. Uh, I did not grow up with privilege. I grew up with like no clothing and starving to death. Another story for another day. Anyway, so I grew up with this instinctive desire to hoard things, so I never get to a place where I have to trust God with my future. I, myself, with my own hands and what I can see, I know that I'm gonna be okay because of what I've done. And that, friends, that is why hoarding, in its, in its rawest form, hoarding can be a sin. Now, I realize that saving things is wise. The Bible says there's oil and wine in the house of the wise, that we don't spend everything we make. But it gets, you can get to a place where you're no longer just being financially responsible. You're just hoarding. You're gathering tons of stuff for yourself that you could be blessing others with, but you're just blessing yourself, and you're holding on to it so that I can always feel secure. I don't want to have to trust God. I don't want to have to trust God with my future. I want to look at what I have now and go, I'm going to be okay. Will God let us live that way? No, because the Bible says the just, those who are justified, those who are born again, they will live by faith. You're going to have to trust me. And at some point in time, God's going to get rid of that hoard because he wants our faith to be in him. All right, that sermon's over. What we're seeing here is that Solomon had more wealth before him than anybody else who was in Jerusalem. He had the wealth of the provinces from taxation. He had the wealth of kings, tribute coming in from all kinds of places. He was loaded with cash. He was the Jeff Bezos of his world. He had more income than he could spend in several lifetimes. But he, was he ever satisfied with it? No, he wasn't. He, still, he, he was still just gathering more and more things because if you've ever known a collector, are they ever happy with what they have? Well, I don't care what you collect. If it's rocks, you'll still find a new rock you like. If it's memorabilia, there's always that one album, I don't have yet, or that one something. You know, you're collecting baseball cards. There's always that one rookie you're looking for. And, and it, when you collect things for significance, it's never enough. And that, we can get neurotic too when we become too collecty. Is that a word, okay? Uh, we collect things too much, we, our significance comes from that. We collect weird stuff. I did some research this week. You know some of the stuff you guys collect? Not you, the church down the road. But there's people out there who collect some weird things. Uh, there's people who just collect uh, Coke bottles. I don't just mean the bottle, I mean with the Coke still in it. They don't even drink it first. And, and that's the least of the weird things that I saw. Uh, there's people who <laughs> there's people who collect banana stickers. Is this thing on? Banana stickers, like the stickers you get on bananas. I mean, as if you know, you got you know Jane and Bob. You know, and this is our front room, and this is our bedroom. You know, and then here's our garage. And oh, by the way, have I shown you my stack book of banana stickers here? This one's from a mission trip when I was in Guatemala, and I peeled that one off and brought it home. And, and we got folks collecting stuff like that, collecting celebrity hair. Amber's grossing out right now, she hates. If hair is not attached, it's, it's satanic or something. This is how she feels. And so we collect lots of weird stuff because we just wanna to try to find significance and meaning in the collection. That if I can gather enough things, there's a sense of satisfaction that arises from that that gives me a sense that I've succeeded. But what did Jesus actually say in Luke 12? He says, beware of covetousness, always wanting one more thing because life does not consist in the abundance of the things you possess. Doesn't matter what kind of car you drove to Father's Day here. Doesn't matter what kind of home you're going back to. Doesn't matter what kind of lunch you can afford today. Doesn't matter if you're going on vacation or if you're just staying home and resting. That doesn't make you successful or not. Your life doesn't consist in the things that you've collected. Well, Solomon says he collected even singers Men and women and concubine, the lights of the sons of men. Solomon had the best CD collection in the world. Now back then, you wanted to collect music, you had to actually collect the artist. Now that's a challenge. You know, we get used to just being like, you know, talking to our Amazon speaker, Alexa, play me some cool jazz, you know? And, and all of a sudden, we got this sweet music to chop cucumbers with in it to it when we we're making dinner. But back then, if you wanted good music at the ready, you had to actually collect the people. And so, but Solomon even had that. And he also collected concubines. No, Mike, not the thing that you plow corn up with, you know, in Iowa. That's a combine. So concubine, without being delicate here, it's a secondary wife uh, who didn't have all the same rights and privileges lived there, but a lot of times they were ornamentation to your life and to be kind uh, for the delights of the sons of man, as Solomon said. So he had all of these things, and even though it brought him temporary pleasure, did it ultimately hurt Solomon? it did 1 kings 11 says that he had 700 wives who were princesses their political marriages he had 300 concubines and his, it says though his wife his wives turned away his heart for when solomon was old his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not wholly true to the lord his god as was with david and so it felt good at the moment did it bring him success no in fact it destroyed his life and after solomon god split the kingdom Solomon's sin destroyed them. Well, let's bring a summary to this real quick here. Uh, number four, looking at verse uh, chapter two, verse nine. Will earthly pursuits give my life meaning, Solomon? Sum it up for us. So I became great and surpassed all who were before Jerusalem. In other words, nobody did this, trying to find success in the worldly things. Nobody did it better than me, nor could they. My wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. In other words, Solomon tried everything, everything. If his eyes desired it, he went with it. He didn't stop to reflect if it honored God. He says, then I considered that my hands, all that they had done, the toil I had done, I had expended in doing it, and behold, what does he say, all of that, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all of it was vanity, emptiness. In other words, Solomon tried out all these things and he felt cheated. I tried to find meaning in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and I felt cheated. It's like a little kid on Easter morning, true story, right? Easter morning, and I've been coveting one of those giant chocolate bunnies, you've seen those the size of a child's head? And they're foil wrapped and they come in this grand box like you're making a presentation to the emperor. And you get this chocolate bunny for Easter and you're just thinking this is gonna be the most satisfying candy experience I've ever had in my lifetime. Now, those of you who have had one of those chocolate bunnies, you're laughing because you know it's not that great. And I remember biting into the ears because that's where every normal child starts. You bite into those ears and you realize this thing is empty. You've been there. You're like, it's hollow. You feel cheated. Like, what is that? You advertise yourself. You're like some big chocolate and you melt it all down. You have more chocolate in a Hershey bar. And so you feel cheated, it looks something that, it, it's something that looks big and amazing and great, but in actuality, you bite in and it's hollow, it's empty. And furthermore, the chocolate was made by somebody in like Malaysia, who don't eat chocolate And it, you know, as they say, it puts the chalk in chocolate, you know, it's this dry, brittle, nasty thing. That's the word for vanity, it's empty. It's something that you bit into it thinking it's gonna satisfy you, but you get into it and it's hollow, it's empty, it's chalky, it's gross, it's nothing at all like you expected it to be. It's vain, and then your heart begins to search and pursue for something else. Well, the chocolate bunny didn't work. Maybe the peanut butter bells will work or you know, whatever, the eggs or whatever you go for. And you just, you move on to something else. And as, as men, men, I have watched your lives, not you, but people in the past. Men, we, we jump from activity to activity looking for something to make us feel significant. We're all on that same hunt, aren't we? We're like you too. I don't mean like you also, but I mean like the band, you too, you know, you know, uh, lead singer Bono. And he wrote a song in his life and he described this song as a spiritual song with a restless spirit. You may know where we're going with this. The lyrics say, I have climbed the highest mountains, I've run through the fields only to be with you. You broke the bonds, you loose the chains, carried the cross of my shame, oh my shame. And I know I believe it, but then what does he say? But I still haven't found what what I'm looking for. What was Bono searching for? He was searching for Jesus. And his life is on this relentless hunt, looking for something to give my life meaning and purpose and significance I can sink my life into and feel like my life mattered. What use is it? but he couldn't find it. Now evidently, people tell me that Bono found Jesus. I hope that's true. I hope Bono finally found what he was looking for. And now you're gonna be stuck with that tune in your head all day. That's my Father's Day gift to you. Happy Father's Day, man. Well, did Solomon find what he's looking for? Let's Let's fast forward to the end of Ecclesiastes really quick here, not just summarize those experiences, but he summarizes the entire book and his entire life. And he says in verse 13 to 14, he says, the end of the matter. When all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What's the whole duty of man? What does God expect from you, man? Six pack, five pack, okay? Does God, what does God expect from you? That you have seven times your income and your 401k at 55, or whatever you are now? Is significance and success having all of these toys at home? being able to go on grand vacations, to go to concerts and parties and activities every weekend. Is that that life? He says, here's the summary. If you want to be a success in life and have none of those things, you can still be a success as long as you do one of these two things. What is it? Fear God and keep his commandments. Fearing God means you're aware that God exists. You know he's great and that you're not. And that you're accountable to him that you, you legitimately are aware of his power, and there's a, there's a sense of fear initially. God has the power, you know, like God says, do not fear man who can kill the body, fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. And so there's initially that fear, and it turns into a reverential love as a father, who you still don't cross because he's got a stick, okay? You still don't cross him, but that's what fear is. It's an awareness of the greatness of God such that I should alter the way that I live today. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's that moment in time that you're saved and you realize it's not just about me, it's about God. And so now for the first time in your life, you care about what God thinks. You're aware of God's law and now you desire to follow God's law because you care that God is pleased with what you do. By the way, that's the mark, the, the mark of an unbeliever is the opposite. You're aware of what God's law says, but you're a lawbreaker. You don't care what it says, I wanna live this way. That unrepentant spirit is what characterizes an unbeliever. You may have gone to church all your life, come, walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, threw a stick in the fire, did some kind of chant. You prayed, you know, prayed some sinner's prayer. doesn't mean you're born again. Let's look at your heart attitude toward God. Do you fear God? I can tell that you fear God because you keep his commandments because when you really understand who God is, trust me, you would never mess with him. You wouldn't be like, yeah, I know what God's Bible says, but I'm gonna live my life this way because that's what everyone else is doing, and it feels good. You don't fear God. person that lives that way does not fear God. Someone who fears God and understands truly who he is will line up their life to what God says. We may not love those boundaries. I mean, do you guys love rules and laws? No, you don't like them any more than I do. But aren't you glad we have lines on the road so that when you're coming around one of these hills in backwoods Ashland and somebody's half over in your lane, aren't you like, hey, don't you see the lines? You may not like the boundaries in your life, but trust me, you enjoy life a lot better if you drive on the correct side of the road. And that's what God's rules are. You may not like the fact that God has expectations of you and I, but you know what? These expectations are built here so that we drive on the correct side of the road and we enjoy life without colliding into something. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's all God expects of you. Men, if you do that, you're a success. I don't care what you're wearing. I don't care who your wife is, who your kids are, or if they even still talk to you. It doesn't matter. You can still be a success in God's eyes if you fear God and you keep his commandments. And you will hear those words when you arrive in heaven someday. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are morally upright and you served me. That's all that matters. Men, you're a success. He says you need to do this because God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil that God will someday put our life through the furnace and all the works that we did and he's going to burn it up and the things that we did for the Lord will remain. The Bible calls it gold and silver and precious gems, you know. But all the empty stuff that we just did for ourselves, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's going to burn up and it's going to be ashes and God's going to go and he's going to blow it away. And then we're gonna see and ask ourselves the question like Solomon did, what use is it? What good was my life? What, how has my life contributed to God in the lives of people? So men, are you a success today? I don't know, ask God. I don't care what your finances are, I don't care what you look, look like, I don't care what you wear, I don't care who your friends are, I don't care that you have a banana sticker collection at home. In fact, if you do, just don't show it to me, I don't care. Uh, but if you are gonna be a success, you cannot avoid this, fear God, Keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. And when you hear that, I don't care what your daddy ever told you growing up, I want you to hear this right now. Your heavenly father says, I'm proud of you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you today that despite whatever kind of upbringing that we have, what kind of father we grew up with, whatever definitions of success that have attached themselves to our soul, these expectations of life, that I have to live a certain lifestyle. To have a certain degree behind my name have certain knowledge certain things certain experiences to be a successful man that God you have showed us very definitively and clearly in Ecclesiastes that we can have all the money in the world all the wisdom in the world to know how to try to find meaning in these things and still come to the same place that Solomon did which is it's vanity vanity all is vanity it's an empty chocolate bunny what this world offers us Lord, I pray that you would send us from this place of people who are fearing of you. We know you for who you are. We know you're holy. We know that you're good. We know that you're just. And that God, because of that, we would alter how we live today, knowing that we, like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, that we're going to stand before you someday and you're going to bring into judgment every deed that was done in the flesh. So, God, help us to live success according to your metric, according to your standard. And God, help us to silence the voices in our heads of people who tell us that success has to be something other than fear God and keep his commandments, for they're lying to us. God, we just beg of you to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. We just want to hear from you, our daddy, who says, I'm proud of you. And we offer up ourselves to you this morning for your service. We ask in Christ's name.
0: Amen. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to make a decision to ask Christ into your heart, click on the link in the show notes and we will be able to help you find your way to Jesus. If you enjoyed today's message, give our podcast channel some love by liking and subscribing to it. And as promised, if you would like more information about Unity, you can connect with us at UnityBaptistAshland.com or on Facebook at UBCAshland. Thank you for spending the day with us. We hope that you have a blessed day.